Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that examines and explains the inner workings of the insurance industry. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I will discuss an aspect of the insurance market with a leading individual from the insurance world. And this week, we have Anton Peña uh, with us, and our topic will be drone insurance, the insurance of drones. Um, Anton has a truly fascinating background. Uh, he has a degree in industrial design and product development from Spain, and he's also studied in France, America, Japan, and the UK at both Imperial College and the Royal College of Art. Uh, in 2015, he founded Flock, which insures drones. Um, so that's the reason why he's on. So, Anton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. What an introduction. Well, you know, never knowingly undersold. So I've summarised your background, Anton, and your career, which was, at least initially, rooted in product design. Um, and I can see from LinkedIn that you've been involved in things like automobile design and the design of apps, both of which are classic product design. But yet, after all of that, here you are as the founder of an insurer, effectively, an insurer of drones. So could you please talk us through how on earth that happened? Yeah, although although it sounds bizarre, I, I think there's a bit of a like logical story behind it, right? As as you said, I um, studied a design course. That's what I always thought I was going to be doing. I was incredibly passionate about building products, and ended up working in the um, mobility industry, right? I ended up working for car um, companies, and I guess that like mobility backgrounds got me thinking about what was next in this space, right? And I bumped into drones. This was, as mentioned, gearing towards 2015, so 2014, when Amazon started talking about how they were going to use this flying things to deliver anything from like books to toilet paper. And um, one of the big topics uh, of conversation at the time was risk, right? What was going to happen to these things when they started falling off the sky? So that's that's the the problem space I started exploring. I ended up imagining a a system, a technology that would use third party data sources, data that was available out there, to quantify the risk of drone flights. Right. So we would just tap into things like Google Maps and many other data sources that would tell us about real time weather and population densities nearby and traffic in real time. And we would use all of that to come up with a risk score that would tell the operator, the, the pilot of the drone, how risky their flight or their operation or their activity was. Right. With that, um, as we tried to take that to market, we very quickly realized that the, the insurance industry had a big need for that. We had a risk engine that would quantify risk. We had insurance companies that saw a massive opportunity in a market that was set to grow exponentially, but they didn't know how to do it. So you, you developed uh, a product, this risk analysis, and initially when you were designing it, you designed it for the pilots themselves. Correct. So, so that they could assess their own risk on whether they wanted to do it in 19 mile an hour winds or, or, or whatever. Um, but then there's that realization that actually, ha ha, that, that there's a bigger market here, that there's a, there are bigger fish to fry. That, that, was, that was the route to market for us. We, we ended up partnering with Allianz, which is and was the biggest aviation insurer 
um, and ended up launching a number of products with them. Right. So it's been, it's been a great partnership story. Um, they've, they've helped us, um, get access to um, this market we're, we're now in. And although we now work with um, all the people as well, they, they definitely have a special space in, in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we'll come on a bit later on as to how you went about that process of finding an insurer to partner with. Um, but I want to start at the very, very beginning because uh, lots of people listening to this will be exactly the same as me and that we won't really have the foggiest idea what the drone market is is all about, how how common they are. You know, I occasionally see one flying over kind of nearby woods and whatever. But um, I mean, could you talk us through, kind of, well, introduce us to the world of drones, Anton? Absolutely. So look, the, the world of drones is more developed than many of us often think. It is best to say it's a technology that's very much, much used in very well-established industries, such as construction, such as energy, such as oil and gas. And they um, fix a bunch of the challenges and problems this, this industries have. We ensure anything from these small drones that are used in industry all the way up to um, 300 pound, four meter long drones that um, are flying objects to oil rigs or are rescuing people in the sea. Wow. Just to give a few numbers without boring anyone, um, we right now have 5,562 companies in the UK with licenses to fly drones commercially. Wow. And you talk about these, these huge, I had no concept that they, they got to that sort of size. I mean, that is, yeah, that, that's enormous. You said there are 5,000 or so companies who are licensed to fly drones, but about how many drones are there in the UK? So um, my, my numbers in this front are a little bit out of date, but the latest numbers I remember that are back from 2018 um, are that uh, that year we had around 100,000 drones in the UK. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that number is just presumably increasing rapidly. Absolutely. But where are we headed then? I mean, this, this is a, a new technology. It's, it's in its early stages. Um, it is clearly being used far more than I realised in, in commercial context. Um, but, but where do you see the future of, of drone technology and drone usage kind of in five years' time, ten years' time? I think for, for us, it is predominantly around stability and, and penetration. Like we're starting to see the latest, um, the latest, most innovative applications are around delivering drugs and blood, for example. We've uh, just ensured a bunch of trials for the NHS with, with a number of uh, really innovative companies based here in the UK. Um, but we're also seeing how that uh, it's going beyond just delivering some goods, right? The, the um, utopia in this world is definitely that one of, of the flying cars, right? And, and I said, the industry doesn't call them flying cars. They call them eVTOLs, which stands for electric um, vertical takeoff <laughs> and landing. There are two companies that are the most advanced right now. They're probably Ehang, which is a Chinese company, and Lilium, which is a German company, a couple more in the US. And these companies are uh, companies that already have prototypes that can fly with humans within it, right? Will we see uh, mass adoption of this technology in five to 10 years? 
I am um, hesitant to, to give it a big fat yes, but I do believe that we'll start in some commercial availability of them, right? It will probably be initially in remote areas um, and we will probably start seeing them in cities maybe in 15 to 20. Wow. So, so effectively, things that are currently transported by road may suddenly be transported 100 metres up. Absolutely. And look, this is this is something we're already starting to see in places like Africa, where road infrastructure is not that developed and their companies um, starting to build that infrastructure of deliveries and, and services with drones. Right. There's this an amazing, amazing company called Zipline, that uh, American company that's predominantly operating in uh, Africa with, again, drug deliveries, uh, blood delivery. And I think they're operating with fleets of like five, six hundred drones at the moment. So um, the, there are applications that are really, really impl- impressive out there. And in terms of, uh, I mean, obviously the, the drones that we see around, are, are, you, you have some person with a, with a handheld controller and the drone is not able to go you know, a certain distance beyond the control. Presumably the drones that you're talking about, they're, they are completely like guided missiles, presumably. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair way to describe it? Well, I, I'm hesitant about using those words, <laughs> but there's definitely a massive, massive level of, of autonomy in this in this space, right? We see two different types of controlling beyond that one of the controller you, you described. The first one is a fully remote one where the, the pilot has no visual contact with uh, the drone. The, the industry likes calling it beyond visual line of sight. Um, and... We, we see how there are drones already where the pilot is within a container, for example, with a ton of computers and screens, and they've got full control of, of, the, of the drone itself, right? Um, so that, that is something we're currently ensuring and we're currently seeing in the industry. And the next level of that is that the drone becomes fully autonomous, right? And again, that, that is a reality nowadays. It is relatively straightforward to uh, program a drone to do something specific we are already ensuring some some drones that fly completely autonomously um so that's definitely where the industry is going full autonomy and i was also reading that we had it's going to be used for sport as well so you have drone flying competitions and you have different design drones which go for speed but also that you, sorry, I may have got this completely wrong, but effectively you you have a virtual headset, which means that you see what the drone is seeing. Mm-hmm. So it is as though you are flying. Is is that, or is that me? <laughs> is that is that just a dream that I had last night? I I don't think that was a dream. That is very much real. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like I think this, the, I think they like calling it the F one of drones, right? The the drone lake, the international drone lake. Um, it's it's something that's a reality. It's something that attracts thousands and thousands of funds. And as you say, it is a number of tiny drones. They're not big. They're probably like um, as as big as your hand is that fly around a circuit. And the pilots are sitting in some plastic chairs. 200 meters away from where the drones are flying and seeing what the drone is seeing via some headsets, as you say. Right? These headsets look similar to how those VR headsets look. So you end up seeing six, um, six people sat in plastic chairs with some weird glasses just turning <laughs> their heads around because their drone is flying somewhere else. So it's 
again, it's it's just a fascinating technology simply because of the new realities that has uh, created, right? If we look back, DJI, which is the biggest drone manufacturer in the world, um, released their first commercial um, kit in 2012, which is just eight years ago, right? So like imagining that we've built something equivalent to F1, in eight years with a completely new vehicle. It's just insane. And actually, as we're discussing it, I'm beginning to realize the answer to my next question. Um, because my my next question is all about why do drones need specific insurance? Why, why can't they just be added to a home and contents policy? Or if you're a business, just your standard business insurances. Um, so what, what is it about drones that mean that they need their own discrete insurance? Well, so there, there are almost two answers to it, right? The short answer is that it is a legal requirement. So in the same way, you have to have insurance to drive a car. Um, you have to have insurance to fly a drone commercially, right? And the, the regulation, um, the aviation regulation, requires a very specific type of insurance, right? That has very specific coverage with a very specific limit. So, so that's that's the short answer. The longer answer is that this risk is completely different, right? Like it is relatively straightforward to put a cell phone in your content insurance policy, but something that flies, that, that could hit someone or hurt someone or break the window of a neighbor, neighbor or potentially even be hacked while it is being flown and be redirected to something else. Or it could close an airport, as we've seen in uh, Gatwick a couple of years ago, right? That could never happen. Right. So I, I was very glad we we're not covering that drone. Um, but it, it, you, you very, very quickly realize how the nature of this risk is completely different. So, uh, so how do how does Flock go? Uh, so your company, Flock, um, go about assessing this risk and providing insurance. One of the things that I've become increasingly fascinated by is, as we've been doing the podcasts is the way in which technology can can transform insurance and how it can be used to make insurance far more. Uh, personalized to, to individual insureds. So could you talk us through some of the uh, approaches and the sort of insure tech uh, that, that you're using at Flock to, to price risk? Absolutely. Right. So we believe in really understanding what's going on around a specific and specific activity and um, doing our best to gather an understanding of the risks that those activities represent. Right. We do it by using data, data that it's usually readily available, um, but rarely used for um, risk assessment purposes. Right. With drones, what we do is just gather a ton of data about where you're flying, for example. So if you're flying in it's not a park around London, we would, as you told us you were um, about to fly in that park via our app, we would automatically ping a number of different uh, data providers completely automatically. Um, I think we've got around 30, 40 data points that gets um, collected in real time. And all of these data points start giving us an understanding of what's going on, right? So in that park scenario, we would very quickly see that there were a number of buildings around you. 
and we would uh, see the opening and closing hours of those buildings if they were commercial buildings. And that would start giving us an understanding of the amount of people that was congregating around them. And we will then develop a very good understanding of how many vehicles there are in that road next to you. And we will then know um, everything about the weather that's coming, not now, but when you're trying to fly, right? So all of that data gives us a very, very good understanding of the environment. If you put that next to a very detailed um, data set about the drone itself, so it's not about knowing how much the drone weighs. It is about knowing how, how fast the drone flies on top of it and the kinetic energy it carries and the number of propellers it's got because the impacts are different and the materials it is made of, right? That added to a very good understanding of the skill of the operator suddenly gives you a pretty good idea of what can go wrong. And if it goes wrong, the material impact or the financial impact that can generate, right? So once we've got that understanding, we don't just use that to put a price to that insurance policy. We also use that to help the customer understand what could be done to mitigate those risks, right? So the customer in, in our application, for example, could start moving them up to say, okay, in this area, I'm exposed to this risk. But if I move the flight to that area, the risk could be lower. Or if I flew at a different time, the risk could be lower. Or if I flew with a different drone, the risk could be lower, right? So suddenly you're creating an environment where the operator, the pilot has everything they need to make that flight safer, which creates an interesting incentive for them because you're giving them a cheaper price for it. Um, that saver flight, which at the same time creates a symbiotical benefit for the insurer because all the insurer wants is to keep a loss ratio low, right? So if you are building an environment where you're pricing according to real risk and you're helping the person exposed to mitigate that risk, suddenly you're creating a win-win scenario. There is so much in that answer that I, I would I would love to explore with you in just a little bit more detail. I mean, one of the bits that you talked about was you factored in, I mean, I can understand weather, I can understand uh, the roads and the visit. But one thing you said was, and we know the skill of the pilot. Mm -hmm. how, how do you know about the skill of the pilot? Because in the good old days, if I'm driving a car, the only way in which my insurer will know whether I'm a good driver or a bad driver is whether I've had a crash. Um, but that doesn't necessarily that isn't necessarily indicative of whether I'm a good or a bad driver. So, so how do you assess the skill of the pilot? Yeah. So initially, we just ask the pilot a few questions about their experience and what they fly and what they've flown before. Um, but over time, we start developing an understanding of how those pilots fly and where these pilots fly. Right. So. If I was a terrible pilot, um, or if I was a pilot flog knew nothing about, but I only flew in the mountains and surrounded by a few trees and a couple of cows, and I suddenly tried to go to the city and fly in a rainy day when I've been flying beautiful days before, there's something that doesn't necessarily connect, right? So there, there are a number of indicators that can be used to understand if a pilot is safe or not. So in terms of practicalities, if, if, I was a, if I was a drone pilot, and thankfully for all of my neighbours, I'm not, um, so I would think, okay, I'm going to go out at kind of 6 p.m. this evening. So I would well, I'd go onto the app, the, the, the Flock app, and say, I'm going to be piloting um, my, my drone in this place 
uh, in at 6 p.m. Yeah, so that's exactly so how that respond. That's that's exactly how the app works. Um, it's true that we now have four, five different products. Um, so not all products work like that. But if you were using our hourly insurance um, app, which covers our customers by the hour, right? So they come to the app, they tell us I'm flying in this area. The app shows them a circle, which they point on a map, and that's the area where they will be insured, right? As soon as they drop that circle on the map, we will give them a risk number. That risk number goes from zero to 100. So the higher the number, the riskier the flight. Um, and as you move the map, the number gets updated in real time. And if you tap in that number, you will see a list of risks that are contributing to that number, right? So it is relatively intuitive. All you need is a drone and the app. And that's it. The, the app does, does the rest really. And it, it is so, so clear and so obvious um, that customers automatically um, start reducing the risk. We've got some really interesting stats where in average, a customer reduces their risk by 15 points um, just by using the app. You talk about pairs you fly, I believe is what you do. So, so if I have a drone and it's sitting in my garage and I never use it, I don't pay for any insurance. Is that right? Yeah. So as, as I said before, we've got different products now. We've got an hourly product. We've got a monthly product, which is almost like yeah. your Netflix for drone insurance, right? You set it up whenever <laughs> yeah. you want to. And if you want to pause it um, or you want to cancel it, you can just do it at the top of a button on the app. Um, we also have an annual uh, policy, which resembles the, the classic insurance policy we, we all know of. Um, and we also have a couple of enterprise level policies that... Um, allow the customer to fly as much as they want. And at the end of the month, they receive a bill based on how much they flew, right? So we connect to their systems automatically. The systems are pinging us every time they fly. So no one has to go to one app and tell us uh, when they're flying. But if there's a month where they flew less than usual, we will only charge them for that real exposure they had and not just a flat fee as um, traditional policies would. And in theory, a lot of this technology is transferable to other types of transport, so motorbikes, cars, whatever. Are you thinking in those terms of that might be an area where you move into? Absolutely. I think we we definitely believe that this concept and this technology is not specific to um, the world of drones. Our, our mission at Flock is to make this world a safer, smarter place. So as, as you can see, that has nothing to do with, with drones specifically, right? So the, the more industries we can help, the better. Right now, we're very focused in the drone space um, because our resources are limited, but we're definitely exploring all this. So keep an eye on us because uh, we might surprise you shortly. <laughs> I'll get you back on the podcast if necessary, Anton. Please to, do. <laughs> uh, kind of the next stage because I'm I'm fascinated by by this. I'm fascinated by the way in which insurance is changing before our eyes, um, and and the way in which it will kind of transform daily life going forwards. And as you say, become assist all of us in mitigating our risk rather than merely just passing it on to the insurer. So I always ask my guests um, a final question, which is kind of what's the thing you've learned? What's, what's the pearl of wisdom that you'd pass on to the, to the next generation? I think brace yourself for the unexpected. Um, so, for example, as we were about to launch our, um, our first product to market, that pay as you fly hourly 
global insurance policy, um, the CAA approached us in a conference telling us that they thought our product was not compliant, right? And we're like, wow, we raised a small financing round six months ago. We probably have six more months of um, life as a company. And now you're telling us we cannot launch the product after a year and a half of, of work on that, right? It turns out the problem was that um, because aviation insurance is regulated, when customers went to get a license to operate commercially, they had to show an insurance policy. What we were offering instead was a policy that would get paid at the point of flight, right? At the point of takeoff. So we had to find a way to give the, the regulator the reassurance that that customer would be coverage. We ended up developing a specific document called a cover note, which is used in other industries, not in aviation, um, and getting the, the, the regulator to back it. And nowadays, that's a document that many drone insurance companies use. So look, be, be prepared for the unexpected and keep pushing because the, the tunnels tend to have light at the end of them. And be prepared to be pioneers by the sounds of it. I guess, I guess that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Anton, that was absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed every minute of that. That was eye-opening and, yeah, it was great stuff. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And I wish you and Flock all the best for the future. Thank you very much and my absolute pleasure. I'll see you when we're launching our next market. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Insurance Covered. Insurance Covered is an RPC production. Recorded and edited by Mary Mitchell. We couldn't do this without Joe Burgess, Sean Alberts and of course our guests. Thanks to them. If you want to be a guest or have any feedback for us, please contact us on podcast at rpc.co.uk. Finally, please rate, share and review it. And please subscribe so that you can ensure receiving future episodes. Thank you.